525,600 hey, hi, hellos, and welcome to the After Party, baby! It's the Theater Kid epises. Cha cha cha! 25,000 children are dying! That's right. And uh, Eric, how do you feel about it? Unrepentant. <laughs> Good. As you should be, sir. Uh, apparently everyone thinks I love killing kids and I've been trying to get that across for years. I know. <laughs> but as you say, it is Monster of the Week. We said coming in, this is going to be a soft horror game. Hey, it's got to be horror still, even if we don't have on-screen gory violence. Yeah. That's true. Also, nothing's funnier than a cutaway to a cabin getting destroyed by a gout of fire. <laughs> Eric, I'm still laughing about that. It's so funny. Come on. You've never met the kids before. It's so funny. It is genuinely sure. very funny. I was concerned for a second it was Brenda and her friends, but no, we established in the previous episode that they were at the theater. So Right, exactly. Fine. Yes. No, it's a kid it's a cabin of kids you've never met before that had relationships and memories <laughs> that didn't happen this summer that you didn't talk to. Yeah, but that doesn't matter to me because I don't know them. No, it's so funny. It really did feel like a gag from Gravity Falls, which is why I wanted to put it in so badly. Mm -hmm. Also, do you remember the trailer for Campaign 2? I made a 9-11 joke. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> I do. So, like, I don't know what people are expecting. I just God. think it's funny. Have you been watching the streams where I laugh about Benghazi? Like, come on. Her emails. We simply can't keep doing this. <laughs> if can't. you're not watching side quests, twitch.tv slash JTP side quests, you got to come on in, people. It's, it's truly uh, wonderful. But I want to observe first that looking back, this was a real one-two punch of, uh, hey, great news. It's a musical arc. Bad news. A lot of kids are going to die. So, Eric, tell me about how the idea for this grand battle came to mind and when you were plotting for all these lethal reveals of the Stone Johnnies and the code <laughs> and the staff lounge and the moose hat. I also really, just before you get started, Eric, I really Please. appreciate that you said, yeah, you know, I'll just give them like 20 minutes to half an hour, like thinking that they're actually going to do a musical and then bam, kaiju fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, I think once I finished that first act, when Claudius got stomped mm -hmm. and we finally, I described the kaiju and we were moving to the actual mystery. We started doing the mystery roles. Brandon was like, wow, I bet you didn't think we were going to do musical stuff for 30 minutes. And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not new. I know you guys. I thought it was supposed to be like an inciting incident, like a teaser cold open where it was like, oh yeah, you hear a noise and a person goes outside and just gets stomped and like then titles, you know? <laughs> yeah, Brandon, in real play, that takes 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I get for trying to make actual play podcasts and TV fit together. This is how you do it. It just takes 20 minutes instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would request that when you describe how you, how you all did all this, how you weaved it together, uh, if you could just do it in the metaphor of her emails. If you could just... <laughs> all right. So if... <laughs> If the Clintons are like me, <laughs> the oh, master. there was just ten minutes of silence. Huh? Weird. <laughs> Let's bring in a listener question. KT Temp twenty five says, "Eric, what made you want to include a kaiju fight in the background? It's so insanely cool." We've done different types of mysteries so far, and again, this has been us playing the game, right? Like we had straight up monster mysteries, like the whole thing with the werewolf and the alicanto. We had ones that were centered around one location, like the woods or the bouncy castle. 
But there's one called a phenomenon, which I haven't really been able to like flex on a little bit, which kind of encapsulates like everything else. When something is happening instead of like a monster per se, like you're fighting the monster instead of undoing the phenomenon. They do a really, really good job of explaining this in Tome of Mysteries. They talk about it as a um a time bubble. How it's like, you need to stop the time bubble. Oh, yeah. Mm. And it's like, you can do whatever you want in the time bubble, the effects of the phenomenon, which is why you ask different questions when you do your sharp moves. You're asking questions about the phenomenon instead of fight monster, right? It's not like, well, how do I kill this vampire? It's, well, what is causing the time bubble and how do I stop it? Right. So I wanted to do something that was like that, which is you can't fight the monster. You just need to figure out what's happening while this thing is happening. Uh, which and I I thought of kaiju stuff. I've been thinking about. I love it. I think it's interesting. I think having this as one of the last episodes, definitely the last uh, non finale mystery, uh, which we've been building to. I just thought it would be a lot of fun as you're all trying to piece these final things together. I thought it got, gave you all an opportunity to run around camp while avoiding danger. And we sure did do that, huh? Yeah, for sure. And let's talk about the other element of this battle, which I was so excited about from Z Roca to twelve twenty three. Do you have a source of inspiration for the Times event table? You've done this in both campaigns, but this was way more intense. Mm. Uh, also, sub question: What denoted a five versus seven versus ten minute time? Great question. Monster of the Week is really interesting because, again, I, I always say Monster of the Week is ninety percent good idea, ten percent mechanics, mm-hmm. and all I love you that do. Song. Uh, <laughs> it's by. A Vampire Weekend, right? Yeah, famous. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, I saw them when I was at NYU. We were there were <laughs> nine people in a dorm room, and the window was open, and Snoop Dogg was there too. It was, and great. that's why you don't own a house. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't own a house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Side quests, baby. <laughs> um, so it's more about like making mechanics literalize how it feels to be dealing with the thing. It wasn't just a kaiju running around; it was a kaiju battle. So I don't know if you all remember the best movie that came out once uh, COVID began, Godzilla versus King Kong. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was so good. It was good. It was exa- very good and also had podcasts in it. So I mm-hmm. liked it even more. I did fall asleep 45 minutes into that movie. Go on. Julia. It's good for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more about collateral damage. And it was really funny coming up with the wanton destruction move to literalize wanton destruction, to literalize causation, things that happen around the destruction that doesn't have anything to do with it. So I thought that that was fun. I thought setting a real timer would make everything good. And then I really wanted to bring it down, bring the timer down, because the fight was getting more and more intense. Kind of like an earthquake, you know? Like, the, the closer you are to the thing, the more destruction it is. So I was trying to literalize it. It was real time. So, because I couldn't figure out a way to make it, like, in-game time, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. And I know we mess with it a little bit because of editing, but it, it's not even that different. I think everyone felt, both the players and the people listening, like, the progressing, getting yeah. more and more tense, even if it wasn't, like, if you set a timer to it, it wouldn't be 10 minutes, but it would be, like, 8. But then again, you're listening to us on 1.5 speed, you monsters. So <laughs> you wouldn't be figuring it out anyway. So I'm glad that people felt that. Who is the real kaiju? <laughs> it's big tech, Brandon, the real kaiju. 
Uh, so yeah, I thought that that would be really fun, and I really liked when the alarm would go off. Sometimes I knew it, but sometimes I was even engrossed in it. Then it would go ding, 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 and I thought that was really funny. Yeah, you could tell how intense it was because I would yell at the players, being like, "There's no time for jokes. We have to stop role playing. Stop!" Says Julia, having a full conversation with a squirrel. <laughs> that squirrel gave us valuable information. <laughs> I love that Eric also just like does not give a fuck. He's just like, mm, let me take a second to think about how I want this scene to to go while the timer's still going. <laughs> that I didn't do. I intentionally paused it, but I, when I was making jokes in character, the timer was going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the problem. Brandon, do you approach editing differently when there is a real time element of our gameplay? Not really. I like. I feel like we play differently when there's a real time element. Like I feel like we do it more stream like where we, you know, we just perform better without having to retake shit yeah there's no time yeah exactly but eric did you i was genuine question did you feel like because we kept rolling so well and and doing good that you had to like step up the game in terms of danger and stuff and that's is that part of why you decreased the timer or was that just already built in no, I the built-in was decreasing the timer. I didn't want to penalize you for rolling well. That, you know, the dice are the dice. I can't do anything about it. I wasn't, like, yeah. genuinely pissed about it. No, of I course was, not. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, I want you to see all the moves I had. We didn't even get to do the move that happened when you failed, which is the building that you're in right now is about to be destroyed. Get out of there, which is more <laughs> I wanted to just show all of the moves. Moss actually asked, what would you have destroyed if the players hadn't rolled so well during the fight? Listen, that stuff was out, out of my hands. Again, I it's really good to be have your cards on the table when something this dangerous is happening. It's not like I'm doing it to you. So, like, I didn't even want to necessarily. It was up to y'all. And I think that that's the thing about, like, the quote-unquote success move, the 10+, plus, was that something is destroyed, but it's not that big of a deal. So you still need to destroy something we've been reveling in for the last 16, 17 episodes. So it's like, ah, I think it's fine. So I didn't want to destroy anything necessarily. I can tell you the rest of the people on the D6 table that you were rolling on for people who were in danger when you rolled seven to nine. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> break our hearts, go ahead. I mean, we know uh, Tater Tot's on there, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know, I know. All right, on the list. I said that on the list was one Jenny, two. If, well, only. I had... if only. Take her, take her. It was Jenny, Jane and Tater Tot, the director, Boo, which you rolled, a crowd of campers, which I guess to demonstrate that someone else, so then you rolled that one, and Dougie Juice. <laughs> okay. Damn it. That's we kind fine. of rolled the worst two we could. Yeah, we kind of did, yeah. You yeah. avoided T Jane and Tater Tot. That's true. That's yeah. true. The dog didn't die, and that's because we succeeded. So. If the dog died, I would have stopped the tape and been like, Eric, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and it would the... have printed out and shredded his contract. Is it? Is it like Jane gets squashed and Tater Tot runs away sad? Because we can handle that. Maybe. Here's the funny thing. Because you all succeeded so much in the beginning, by the time you were out doing stuff and being far away from camp, you couldn't say anyone yeah so honestly it screwed you over in, in that way which is why boo got stomped and those campers got fired in a big gout of flame it's like dislocating a limb the more it wants to do it once the easier to do it again and uh, listen <laughs> i still think boo is has simply been squished and the nearest watermelon to him he'll just zoop right in there pop right in there yeah mm -hmm. i am curious i mean we did do a very good job succeeding in 
deciding what was destroyed were you guys also struggling to think of things that we were like that would be okay for us to destroy like <laughs> after like the second or third time because i was like i don't want to yes. destroy any part of camp oh 100 percent, yeah trying to think yeah. of what the like things that were in camp that were already dangerous to us yeah. <laughs> by existing. Like the slide. Exactly. I love that we were all on the same page. Are we going to choose something where I'm like, okay, good, good, good. Yes, this is second on our triage list. Like mm. you can take the new cabin that's new and has shit under it. You can take our cabin. It's just all feathers and chocolate chips. It's fine. Don't mm. worry. We know. We know. Well, Lesson Phoebe, let's talk a little bit about your scenes and also the director. Porkchop Poppy wants to know, why didn't the director or ADZ tell the kids what Stephen was capable of at the beginning i mean eric into this but why would you i mean like you're you're trying to direct a summer camp not scare children for scar life. children for life yeah. right <laughs> yeah i think we got a really important nugget of her motivation in there where she was like you know it's my job to keep you from being responsible you're not fully responsible yet and it and it sucks to be and so i don't want you to be and why do you keep asking for it yeah that's 100 percent true shouldn't it be enough for the director and assistant director to say don't talk to steven and you don't yeah. Like, that should be enough. I mean, I disagree. I think that's bad parenting, you know? Like, it's bad, yeah. it's bad responsibility. Like, you got to tell kids why. Otherwise, they're just going to do what we did. <laughs> well, I mean, the director did. The director said, Stephen is a... It's not, it's not like, go everywhere the light touches. It wasn't like <laughs> that. It was like, Stephen is a terrible demon. <laughs> Don't, he's a trickster. Don't talk to him. He will convince you to do something bad. I don't, but, oh, actually, I'm curious if she said that or not, if he will, like, because that would have been good if she said he will convince you to do something bad. But, like, you tell a kid, like, he's a terrible trickster demon, He's the kid's going to be like, yeah, I need to make him my best friend. You're like, how can I, you know, what's going to happen in that sense? You I'm know? not goth like, for no reason. You're like, yeah. oh, no, if I talk to Steven, I'll get detention. No, it's like, you'll literally die. I think if they had establish what the stakes were maybe the 13 year olds would feel less likely to rebel this is not a critique on you by the way no 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 this is a critique on people who don't do yeah, that just a oh yeah i mean that's the director 100 percent doesn't do that they it should be enough that like she's the director of a weird camp that you would believe the weird camp person mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah i guess you know teenagers are gonna teenager yeah but Julian and Brandon, how do you guys approach that conversation, that negotiation? Did it surprise you how hard it was to get her to answer a straight question? I think I literally said in the episode, I'm like, why do we ask you questions? Mm-hmm. And then you yes. just don't answer them. <laughs> yes. Can you give me a straight answer, please? I think Phoebe at that point just wanted to be direct. Yeah. The obvious answer is like, we're Eric is dancing on a pinhead trying to not, you know, unveil things that would ruin the gameplay. But also, like, in character, I totally bought the motivation that the director was like, I, I think it's selfless and a little bit, maybe a little bit misguided, but but coming from the right spot of, like, I don't want you to have to be responsible when you're a child for this life yeah. and death situation. Very much so. Especially, there's two. There's also two extra things here. One, there's absolutely no reason to talk about the secret staff lounge that you two aren't allowed in. Why would they? Why would they do that? Why would the director need to do that? And two, ADZ was in there with the thing that would hurt Phoebe the most. Mm-hmm. So I'm especially not going to tell you about that. Oh my God, sweet Phoebe, are you okay? 
I think Brandon said in the episode, because you couldn't see my face during the recording, mm-hmm. but was like, oh my God, Julia's face, she's so mad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, before we get to that, Brandon was less tempted by the director kind of throwing out there that her either father or grandfather knew Charles Ford. Yeah, I, I think that was actually really, I, I, I took the choice I thought was funnier, but thought, I thought that was brilliant, Eric, of like tempting less with like, oh, this person might actually have some secrets that I don't know because 100% less would jump at that opportunity. But I think mm. in the moment, because the director was being so caged about other stuff. And you're in front of a girl you like. I mean, you're in front of a Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funnier to be like, oh, this, <laughs> less is like, oh, this person's a dirty liar now. <laughs> this person's been blacklisted. Sure, and now you don't get to learn about it. Yeah. Eric Porchop also wanted to know, how does Charles Ford's philosophy on monsters differ from the director's? Oh, I don't know. I was doing less. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> he would have figured it out eventually. I would have figured it out if Les had said yes. Probably something about like living on the land as opposed to observing them like in a compendium, which I feel like is Charles Ford's whole deal. Yeah. Like putting, him, putting that shit into a book. Well, one, my favorite Disney ride. But two, uh, yeah, I mean, totally. Like, the director has actual experience with these monsters, and Charles Ford just, like, saw something out of the corner of his eye once and wrote a book about it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it must be, like, when I was thinking about this, it was real, like, 19th century philosophers sitting in, like, a a hunter's lodge talking about, like, different types of philosophy, Mm -hmm. you know, them fitting together. And that's what I was thinking about in terms of uh, cryptozoology. Director Lowe's grandfather had those conversations with Charles Ford about monsters. Totally. Yeah. And Julie, before we get to Phoebe's grand disillusionment that she'll be talking about (laughs) in her diary for decades, let's figure out how we got there. So Casey, three kobolds in a trench coat, wants to know, um, how long, Eric, did you have the passcode for the rock wall set out? Did you know you'd use that phrase since the bus ride in the beginning? And players, how silly did we feel listening back? (laughs) I felt so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I, mm, listening back, I was like, I thought I had it the first go around and I did, but I think Eric was waiting for a longer pause where in my head I went, I would die for camp die. I would die. But I didn't like say that out loud. And so it wasn't a long enough pause for you, Eric. And I think I would have gotten on the first try, but. But Julia, did you, did you just guess that as a password because it would be a good guess or did you connect the symbols to that in your head while you're doing that? Well, no, Amanda whispered it on the microphone. I was like, that is it. must be oh. it. And then I yeah, said, Amanda I, got I had a light bulb moment. Yeah. Yeah. But did, so did Amanda, did you connect it to the symbols or did, were you just like, that's a good guess? No, no, I, I suddenly saw the symbols I'd written down for weeks in my notebook and was like, oh, it's I would die for game time. Hey, this is another problem <laughs> of doing a podcast and you don't have the visual component that like there was a bunch of calculus symbols that went across Amanda's face. <laughs> I was that meme lady with the with the math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay, I'm going to have to make that meme right after this. <laughs> yeah. Remind me. But yes, Julia, you're right. It was the it was the pause thing which had to be which had to be a part of it. But Eric, when did you first think about that phrase? Was it since that opening scene on the bus? Mm. Mm. No, it wasn't. I really liked the phrase on the bus. I just came up with it. It just came in my head and I thought it was fun to do as as a way to set the scene in that first scene. And as we said, I didn't know necessarily that there was a staff lounge until Les found something, mm. which I had said before. 
But I was like, well, Les can't just get in there. There has to be a thing. There has to be a password. And then I started putting it together. I really did want this to be in the Avery notebook that you got. That mm-hmm. was very important to me. Again, as I said, I had to give you something as doing a reward for interacting with Avery. And not to be weird, like literally that's good GMing, right? You mm-hmm. reward your your characters yeah. and your players for doing interesting things. I think that's potentially dangerous and like, you know, going further into the lore. I get it. Yeah, especially with Monster of the Week. You have to give something in return for someone making a risk. So that's when I knew that before you went into Avery. I knew that Avery would have this old notebook with that stuff in there. Especially in the notebook, as I had talked about, like the stuff about monster hunting being like riflemanship in old <laughs> the, camps, the physical you know? fitness exam or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was something that I, I was really thinking about. So I, I knew it since as I was prepping for Carrie Ann's interaction with Avery, but not before. But it did, you know, giving yourself presence. Give yourself presence as GMs. Just lay things out there and see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, make risks or try to do work ahead of time. And then you're like, oh, that actually works well. And then you can connect the dots. So I didn't know from the jump, but I did have it in my head from the jump, which is almost the same. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brandon, did you know from when you were seven or eight and wrote the Camp Die short story that one day a thing <laughs> called podcasts would be invented and this would be a, a, a major plot in Campaign 2.5? I did because I am uh, clairvoyant. Good. So I did have a vision about this. Yeah, uh, but Arnold Palmer is a self-insert. <laughs> <laughs> I do also want to quickly defend Eric against Julia's, like, didn't wait too long. Because if you were to, I just double-checked, it's two-quarter rest, right, Eric? Yes. I'm not a musician, Brandon, okay? so If, if you're going to write this out, it's I would die, and that's one and Half two. Rest. So yes. one and two, rest, rest, one and two. Rest, yes, well, because it's call and response. That was the key from the beginning. You, it was remember, it was one half of the bus. Did I would it to die the, to the other half of the bus. So yes, Brandon is a hundred percent correct. And of course, a verbal password would need that. Just to, it's like caps lock on a written on a written password, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, Brandon's a hundred percent correct. This is the spirits theme song Aladdin thing all <laughs> over again. And I won't have it. I just won't. You mean the Aladdin theme song? Shut up, Brandon. Yes. <laughs> Let's move one on. One hop ahead of the Bigfoot. <laughs> Can't unhear it. Okay. Uh, Porkchop also wants to know who created the lounge? What kind of magic is used to protect it? Who can say? Who can say? Sounds tater tater sounds cool. I don't... Yeah, it was Tater Tot all along. Tater Tot loves to dig. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, and while you guys were having a great time figuring out passwords, uh, I was being traumatized in the woods with Jenny. Steven. That sounds like a Bruce Springsteen lyric. <laughs> I was being traumatized in the woods with Jenny. <laughs> New Jersey's never felt this good as I want to get out of my hometown. <laughs> That's great. Incredible. Thanks. So, I mean, we got, obviously, a lot of Eric with the fucks. Uh, Katie May Amber says, Eric with the fucks. Steven has a face. Hate that. But we'll... <laughs> I had to include that. I <laughs> was like, thank you. Good. That was good. But before, you might be wondering how we got to Stephen having a face. And it begins with, um, this is a long, but I think very good question from Rationally Afraid of the Moose, who says, I'm suddenly very interested in knowing about Jenny. 
More specifically, what on Charles's green earth made her think about bargaining with Stephen? What did he promise her that was more worthwhile than Conway and her fellow CITs? Is this a question you can even answer or are we locked out of this information, which is a great image, because the best friends weren't interested in following Jenny's portion of the Camp Die story? It really makes me think about the complexity of even this tiny little camp, which despite its size, we still don't see everything happening unless it crosses the best friends' paths. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I think Jenny just wanted two more weeks of summer with their new partner, right? Like, they're new to dating. They want to spend more time with Conway. And so two more weeks of summer. Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it, especially the way that you all dealt with the Kelpie situation all the way back in the Alicanto mystery. Perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, dramatically and interestingly, I think is the way. So Conway revealed a secret, but that only engendered the relationship between Conway and Jenny even harder that like they kept a secret even when it got blown up, it was fine. You know? Yeah. This is also a competitive role, right? Like not everybody's going to get full time counselor positions, I assume. And probably Jenny wanted to have a moment uh, you know, to be the hero. Yeah, could I also assume that like it's a bit of an ultimatum of like at least in Jenny's mind maybe I don't know if it was said explicitly by Steven, but like Jenny was like okay, well, I want to be the hero of this camp and it's either the kaijus destroy the camp or I get two weeks of summer. What's the downside? So let's do the deal. Mm. Yeah. yeah, like a, a real, you know, appeasing the dictator. Yes, it would, Jenny, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Jenny was like, I'm just going to, in exchange, the Bonezilla is going to stop doing the Bonezilla stuff and because Steven wants something. He's Steven's acting out, so I'm going to deal with it. Here's the other thing that I've been seeding. Jenny thinks Watermelon's you three- Yes. God, Jenny thinks you three are doofuses. Yeah. From the way that you've all interact. Remember all the way that you've been interacting with Jenny? You've it's really been like you know that episode of Community when all the other kids in the college are like, yeah, the study group's very into themselves. Yeah, they it's suck. Like, yeah, they're very into themselves. And Jenny's like, these three just fucking walk around. Carrie Ann is the teacher's pet of the director. You're welcome. Phoebe is doing some weird shit at all times. What a weirdo. And Les is just like 6'5", standing around, and Dougie's not doing anything. Like, we have bad Les with, with Dougie, who's always sleeping. Bad Les. <laughs> Eric, there's always a woman character that you put into the thing that thinks our characters are doofuses. It's happening <laughs> time and time again. I, no, I have put in lots of characters who are who could be allies, but instead all three of you are like, get fucked, love my best friends. I was just going to say, like Emily Slaughter, you know, we could either make peace with Jenny or not. And we chose to prioritize other things. And, you know, I think, I think uh, Rationally Afraid of the Moose puts it really well that like, other stuff is happening, and if those plot lines don't intersect with the best friend plot lines, it's not that they're frozen in amber, like, waiting for us to shine a light on them. They're still happening, right? Yeah. I think we learned this kind of very explicitly over the last few episodes, like when Jenny saw Phoebe talking to squirrels, and Jenny's like, what are you doing? What is this? <laughs> well, Phoebe's like, you're dating a horse! <laughs> and I'm like, and Jenny's like, yeah, in a good way. Click flop. <laughs> and, and the way that Jenny's like, Carrie Ann, you, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing either. I need to save camp. I have to figure it out. But, you know, there was always, there were plenty of opportunities to figure out who was going to be the one who betrayed camp. On behalf of Stephen, it just, to me, it felt like it was Jenny from the way that you know, the interactions between the two groups of CITs plus the director being an absolute mess. Jenny was like, I guess I got to save Cam. Yeah. Uh, just a quick roll call. 
who thought their character was going to be the one to betray camp? Because I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. That's why Carrie Ann didn't want to be leader of the fairies, because she thought that any kind of power that she might amass would be used by Stephen against camp. Mm-hmm. That's smart. That makes sense. I did not. I'm perfect and tall. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Eric, I do want to posit also that it's not that your female characters think that we're doofuses. It's that your female characters are doofuses and we're normal. Mm. Interesting. I wonder how that works in terms of relating to others. Because they think we're doofuses, but the reality is that they're just like haughty know-it-alls who think they can do everything better. So therefore, we're normal and they're doofuses, you know? Our characters do cause wanton destruction wherever we go. I mean, that, shut that up. is <laughs> And I also don't want to say it's not just female characters. There are plenty of people no, who I could know. be allies that you you all decide to rebuff because they do one thing that's weird so you dunk on them instead. I just think that there are some really cool parallels between Emily Slaughter and Jenny. That's all I yeah. want to establish. Oh, this is a prequel. Julia. Oh, that makes sense. Oh. Jenny became Emily Slaughter. Oh. This is mm. 10 to 40 years before the introduction of Diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> either, it's either a prequel or a sequel. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Just to put a fine point on it. So Katie asked, what did Jenny think the deal she was getting was? She seemed really surprised that her juices were slurped. Yeah. I don't know exactly because, again, we didn't see it on screen. But I think Julia probably got the closest, which is like, stop with the Bonezilla. Two more weeks of summer, and then Steven probably said something innocuous that turned into Jenny getting their body slurped. I think it's a metaphor for the persuasive diet industry invading young women's self-perception of themselves. Steven really represents, you know, fast fat diets. Brandon has a lot of feelings about this right now because we just found out that the goop got a podcasting deal. (laughs) We did, we did. Feeling feisty. This is contemporaneous podcasting, baby. <laughs> oh, I also want to say this only happened because the whistle was gone. Right. This would have been a different mm-hmm. thing if the whistle wasn't slurped up. Well, I am, you know, thirsty for another watermelon margarita. So let me just run into the kitchen for another round and I'll be right back. Hey, it's Amanda. I am recording this ahead of time as uh, many of us in the U.S. travel to see family or cook big meals this week. And I got to say that there is just something special about cranberry sauce that I happen to love. I do a cranberry lime and mezcal cranberry sauce, which is a different flavor profile to the cranberry orange that you normally see. Uh, It's very tart. It's so delicious. And it is good on pretty much everything. So I recommend remixing a classic this year. Welcome to the mid-roll. You can put a pickled jalapeno on top. It's so good. We have new merch out here for you. We have, of course, stickers of Grumfungo. These are our favorite AI Pokemon who is grumpy at transphobes because everything from the Grumfungo supports trans rights sticker will benefit trans lifeline. Go to jointhepartypod.com slash merch or get the link in the episode description or on our socials to buy your Grumfungo sticker now. There is nothing more I want to see than Grumfungo in your local bar bathroom or bulletin board or car or laptop, listen, buy a three-pack. You're going to want multiple Grumfungos. Trust me. Jointhepartypod.com slash merch. 
We are also going to be at PAX Unplugged next weekend. This is the premier non-video game gaming convention. It's in Philly this year, and we are going to be there. Me, Eric, Misha, Rue, December 2nd through the 4th in Philadelphia. Come through. We will have Grimfungo stickers. We'll have a Games and Feelings live show with Eric and Amanda Silberling, a.k.a. Ralts of uh, Join the Party Side Quest chat. And Jeremy from Three Black Halflings. It's going to be an amazing time. Plus, of course, a booth with multitude stuff and stickers and bonuses and all kinds of stuff for you to enjoy. Come through and say hi if you are in Philadelphia or looking for an excuse to go. That's December 2nd through the 4th in Philly. And check our socials for exactly where we will be. We will thank all of our newest patrons when we get back. Sent to Morgan. You snuck in just under the wire before I left. So thank you for your support. And again, just to say, your support on Patreon, all 600 plus of you, is what allows us to make the show our jobs with no bad Tuesdays. If you can't get enough join the party in your life, if you want to support our mission or get more stuff or hang out in our Discord with all the other join the party patrons, please do it. You will get to enjoy party planning every other week where we play games and give advice and just have a good time with each other. You can get ad-free episodes, bloopers, even one-on-one time with Eric, or the ability to play a one-shot with all four of us. Please come on through. Patreon.com slash join the party pod. Seriously, I hope I hope you know that it means a lot to us and this is a great time of year to support an indie creator, to support a small business out here in the digital landscape. Let that business be join the party. Patreon.com slash join the party pod. I'm also so excited to tell you that we have a brand new member show here at Multitude. Pale Blue Pod is an astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Astrophysicist Dr. Moya McTeer of Exolore and comedian Corinne Caputo are demystifying space one topic at a time. They have open eyes, open arms, and open mouths from all the laughter and jaw dropping that they are doing along the way. By the end of each episode, the cosmos will feel a little less scary and a lot more cool. They have new episodes out every Monday on topics like Pluto and electromagnetism and where planets come from. It is seriously amazing. It's my new favorite podcast, and I am so, so honored that we have a new show that's this amazing to tell you about. So search for Pale Blue Pod in your podcast app now. New episodes every Monday. We are sponsored today by Hero Forge, which offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy species and thousands of parts to choose from. They have a very easy to use design tool online that helps you build your perfect miniature using a fully 3D in-depth character creator right in your web browser. And I got to tell you, it's also a great way to start thinking about character options. If you're like me, have trouble kind of finding a starting place for a new character, you can just like throw cool accessories in there, companions, stuff for your character to hold, hairstyles and body parts. It is really, truly amazing how many options there are. And Hero Forge makes it so easy to get that mini to make it real. You can either download a file to 3D print it yourself or get your your fully custom miniature, including color printing, by the way, shipped to you. They add new content every week, sometimes based on your recommendations, by the way, so you can ask them for stuff if they don't have it. Go to heroforge.com to start designing today.
We are also sponsored by 20 Sided Store in Brooklyn, New York. Shop online or in store for games, puzzles, gaming gear, and swag from Join the Party's friendly local game store. I know I am getting multiple holiday presents at 20 Sided Store. They are a small business. They're lovely. Lauren and Luis, the co-owners, are absolute dolls and recommended my favorite Chinese restaurant of all time to me, which is just down the block, M. Shanghai. Shout out. So if you go into the store in person, just mention Join the Party for 20% off your first purchase. And if you're buying online, they can ship to you. Use code JTPCAMP, all one word, for 20% off your first purchase. Whether you are getting gaming accessories or dice or games or just an extra thing to like zhuzh up your table and improve your dice collection or your dice bag or your play mat or get an expansion pack to a game that you love or bring a copy of your favorite game to wherever you are traveling this holiday season, check them out. That's 20sidedstore.com. Use code JTPCAMP or mention join the party in store for 20% off your first purchase. Finally, we're sponsored by Fan Roll Dice, a new dice company we are so excited to be partnering with, I can't even tell you. Fanroll is the culmination of almost a decade of metallic dice games, which recently emerged from its cocoon as the newly formed Fanroll. They have over 300 items for every type of gamer, including trays, towers, and bags. One thing I haven't seen anywhere else that they make is their liquid core elixir dice, which look like an actual sea trapped inside a die. It is so beautiful. They also have something very cool going on right now called Misfit Metal Dice, which is a mystery bag of factory second metal dice. That means that they have slight scratches or cosmetic imperfections, but still roll perfectly well, which you can adopt and take home at a discount. They are kindly offering JTP listeners 10% off your purchase at fanrolldice.com with code JOINTHEPARTY. That's 10% off with code JOINTHEPARTY at fanrolldice.com. And now back to the show. Amanda, I think you made these drinks a little strong. <laughs> well, Brandon, you you insisted on drinking three tiki drinks to quote give the margarita some friends. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a thing I would do. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Brandon, here's an agua fresca. Thanks. Lots of electrolytes. Uh, I don't believe in electrolytes. It's my it's my toxic trait. Uh, that's not true. Okay. <laughs> huh? Amanda. <laughs> And then Amanda drank more watermelon margaritas because it, quote, looked lonely in the pitcher. Exactly. You can't leave just a little bit of guy in there. Okay. We have some excellent what ifs here from the listeners, which isn't exactly spoily corner, but I do think is a good, you know, thinking about the future, thinking about what if corner. Mm. Join the party presents what if. What if camp zombies? Ooh. I don't like the weird animation style that's part of this. We should have paid our animators more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a question from Kate. How did Conway react to Jenny's decision? Did they know what she was going to do and why? And I'll add on myself, if they knew, would they have stopped her? Interesting. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. I don't even know what to say. It's not even like a who can say, but it's like, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I get the feeling that like, this is a little bit of headcanon, but I get the feeling like Jenny is the kind of person that was like, that would be sort of headstrong and either intentionally or forgetfully just be like, oh, you didn't get my plan. You know, like you didn't intuit what I was going to do or because I think Conway would have tried to stop Jenny. Right. Yeah. I In my head, 
the way that I did it, especially from Carrie Ann's reaction, Carrie Ann getting thrown off by Jenny and Conway, like Jenny was like, I have a plan to stop Steven, but you have to trust me. And then right, Kanye exactly. went, yeah. and then Kanye went. So it's like, clip, 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 clip. So I think that it was probably like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, you know, Conway, I'm sure has full trust in what Jenny says because they're dating. And also, you know, their relationship. Conway can't speak English. And uh, Jenny is facilitating that very strongly for them. They were working on that language that that one horse did where like it's like one tap for two and like where you do math problems or whatever. Like yeah. They were working on that, though. It was a real <laughs> Mr. Ed situation. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the cartoon, someone's dubbed over Conway with Mr. With Mr. Ed voice. Incredible. <laughs> Someone gave Conway peanut butter. <laughs> they love it. Duran asks, is there anything Steven would have offered to any of the best friends to convince one of them to accept the deal? You tell me. Yeah, best friends, what do we think could have been offered to us that would make it work? I think Carrie Ann would have really thought about the situation if the offer was like, you work with me to preserve camp in some way or I annihilate camp, period. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That feels like a very carrion motivation. I think for Phoebe, what I thought from the beginning, and that's why I raised my hand when I was like roll call, <laughs> the, they were going to be the betrayer. I like had kind of convinced myself that Chuck might have been an extension of Steven in some way. And so Chuck being like, well, I need to enter the camp so that you can fulfill your magical destiny. Phoebe would have said yes to that. Wow. For sure. I think probably the only thing that would have given less would have been like if either Carrie Ann or Phoebe had expressed something like, you know, Carrie Ann wished that she could, I don't know, be at camp all summer or like fix her home life or something. I don't know. And like Phoebe was like, you know, I don't want these powers or whatever. And then Steven offered that to less so that he could give it to his friends. Mm. Oh. But yeah, I don't know what else he could have really offered except for like a cool bones xylophone. What if <laughs> what if he made you into a Bigfoot? Would you be into that? No. That's hmm. like, uh, say I'm scared of snake and someone offered me to become a snake. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. What if you were like liaison to the cryptids and you, you know, were blessed with all the knowledge, like all the knowledge of the of the complete version of the book were imparted to you? But I think less like I think this is the secret of less and being a kid is like the part of the fun is it of it is like not knowing right like I think that's why he's like also part of the reason why he sort of spurned the director's uh, offer of like she you know professes to have the correct knowledge so she's obviously a a liar <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think the hard part about this for the players for making the players betray is you probably would have had to come to me. Eric slash Steven mm. to say it. It's a very like witch in the woods situation is that mm. you need to tell the witch the thing you want before you can gather monkey pot around on you, you right. know? So it's like, not to say that it couldn't have happened, but I think I would have needed confirmation from that because, you know, Steven did try to tempt Carrie Ann, but then Carrie Ann was like, no. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I don't know if that even would have come up in play unless one of you were stewing in the middle of the night and then called me and it was like, all right, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Hit the button. Yeah, exactly. That is interesting because you do definitely campaign two. And I, I think in campaign one, too, like you do like to give our villains like at least on paper, like the fact that they offered the heroes something, like tempted them with something, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, you know, 
it's not that fun of a story if you're just like stomping a bad guy, you know? Of like course. there needs to be something. There has to be something going on. Oh no, that's a good thing. Yeah, I was just surprised to hear that Stephen wouldn't have done it of his own accord. For them, I think that there's a correlation between Stephen and the Council of Bright who needed something to come through. Right. That was the that was the thing. Mm-hmm. With Gutenberg, he was biding his time. And gotcha. that was different. Yeah. And he was just waiting to hit you. That was the deal with the with these like more spookier games when your enemy is like a big evil that's not there now is that you got to be let in. So you had to be let in both of these situations. You had to be let in. Yeah. That's why Stephen was explicitly a trickster in this way. But of course, this was only laid on harder when the fact that the whistle's gone and all you have to do is what well, I need to trick one child and I'm in. <laughs> Abby asks, would Stephen have killed Carrie Ann if she'd accepted the deal? Yeah, you would have been Probably, stoked. right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have to assume. Ah, uh, the diet yeah. industry hits again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a representation for those weird shakes that just make you poop. Yeah. <laughs> and Jay Factorial wants to know, was Stephen breaking into camp always part of the plan? It feels like it was. Yeah. He needed to get into it. Was, it, it you give been... us a wall. You give us a skeleton outside the wall with sunglasses, eating watermelons. Uh, it's going to happen. Yeah. There is a version of the story, though, where it's very Les Miserables, where, like, we, you know, barricade the wall and, you know, throw shoes at Steven or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think if the whistle wasn't gone, yeah, for sure. It might have been a base building sort of or a siege sort of thing instead. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Steven did the bone. Steven did the Bonezilla thing as a distraction. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like that was what happened here. So in, instead, it would have been like Steven made a rush and you're trying to use the whistle as much as possible to push him back. Totally different situation. You're, you're definitely right. Watermelon 2, 4, 6, so on. <laughs> <laughs> I stole a watermelon around. <laughs> Can you hear the campers sing? Singing the songs of little kids. If the summer never ends, I don't have to go to school again. Empty cabins at empty fields. I just have to say, I Googled- Master of the bunk. (laughs) (laughs) That was what Dougie Juice was doing when we were working. Let me let us sleep for now. Yeah, for sure. I don't know Les Mis well enough to participate in this. I'm so sorry. Julia, me neither. So I Googled Les Mis bread number and Google didn't tell me what it was. I had to go to like (laughs) fifth results. It was terrible. Green, the color of our shirts. (laughs) Gold. It's a sticker. I got it, Art. (laughs) All right. Let's move into some questions about the game, about our characters, about the pod. I didn't know I knew that much Les Mis. (laughs) Good job, honey. I'm very surprised. All right, Paul asked the question on everybody's minds. Destruction of Campuside, would either Bonezilla or Stone Johnny eventually win the fight if left alone for long enough? Bonus Ooh. question, how would Kaiju Monty from End of Campaign 2 fare in this fight? Oh, three-way mm. Kaiju battle. Yeah, that would have been wild. Yeah, throw all in there. Why not? <laughs> I think it would have been Stone Johnny and Monty defeating the Bonezilla together for sure. Because as we know, Monty was corrupted and that's the only reason we had to fight him. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I think I think uh, mountain lobsters are basically as old as dinosaurs. So it, it, Bonezilla can't pull that on this. Yeah. That's no. true. Are you thinking because of power differential or like strength of will or everything? 
There was an opportunity, I think, if you wanted to, to make like a big distraction to help Stone Johnny against the Bonezilla. Mm-hmm. But you didn't end up doing it because it would have been very, uh, it would have been really hard and very scary and dangerous. And none of us have good tough. Yeah. So I was like, I envisioned like if someone stole the golf cart and there were fireworks in it and then it went off or something Mm -hmm. to like give a momentary edge for the Stone Johnny to do like a a stone cold stunner (laughs) on (laughs) Bonezilla. And maybe that would have like totally changed the tide. But something I wanted to keep going was that it was supposed to be a stalemate and it was more about the destruction than Mm -hmm. one winning. Yeah, we really didn't use that golf cart as much as we should have this campaign. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I did do that, Eric. I sent fairies in to distract them. Come on. You did, and oh, it was so Brandon. funny. <laughs> I had real images of the uh, the Rugrats going to Las Vegas montage with vacation all I ever wanted, vacation have to get away. <laughs> with the fairies coming into camp? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that was so funny. It was just the fairies distracting everyone and then taking kids' names. It was so funny. <laughs> TJ says, players, there was obviously some visceral reactions going on during Boo and the Kingfisher cabin moments. How hard was it to continue role-playing knowing the full stakes? Well, my visceral reaction was, God damn, this is funny, so y'all should, should talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that raising the stakes makes you more committed to solving the problem. So, like, we were having visceral reactions because, yeah, we were watching characters that we loved you know, get endangered. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was a bad thing. Our visceral reactions, one, are to feed Eric with what the fucks, and two, <laughs> to make sure that, like, you all know, oh, this is bad. Yeah, that's something, honestly, that I'm excited that we're doing more. I think that as we were trying to make good product, sometimes we're, like, in it, and we're not emu- emoting as people participating in yeah. a good in a game that's fun. So I'm definitely enjoying that more because you know you got to get it on a microphone so people know that we're doing it. Yeah, we all did a lot of raising our hands this campaign, and we we've gotten better. Uh, <laughs> in this episode, me, Amanda, y'all did a lot of raising. <laughs> well, your hands. in in uh in this uh, arc, Eric said, "Brandon, you're raising your hand." That's and, true. Uh, you're, and right, you're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> and I was like, "Ha ha." But no, it, I mean, the the gasp you hear me gasp when Jenny accepts Steven's deal and promptly dies is 100% genuine. Like, I I try to, to tamp my down because Eric and I are in the same physical room. And if I say something silly when he's actually talking, he has to retake his line. So, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I got to try. But like, good God, I, I couldn't hold it in. Yeah. I care about these kids. Yeah. It's a fictional camp. They're good kids, bro. I didn't really care about the ones in the cabin. I didn't. I hadn't seen them. So, <laughs> mm, Brandon, <laughs> I don't want to wait. <laughs> and somewhere for the third hour in a row, the the kingfishers are singing as we go on. We remember. <laughs> J Factorial says, so obviously we've seen campers meet unfortunate ends before, such as with the gelatinous cube, Boo's soul ripping, and whatever happened with Avery. And it's making me realize the body count of this short season is very high. Is there a reason behind this upping of the stakes beyond its monster of the week and the tone needs a shift as a result? I think you've touched on this a little bit, Eric, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. It's monster of the week, baby. It's monster of the week. Yeah. Like Amanda said, it's soft horror. So more random people we've never met have died. Also, some people have noted that at some points I said no one has ever died at camp, but this was after the the counselors were dead inside of Chadwick. Um, yeah, no one knows about them. Yeah, they just they think missing. that they pieced and they got on their boyfriend's motorcycles and left. 
Incredible. Also, it's literally called Camp Die, y'all. What did you think was going to happen? It's literally called Camp Diogenes, Brandon, actually. I'm sorry, Julia. I know the source material better than you do. Yeah, so that's if fair. You could wow. just... In 1998, Brandon foretold. <laughs> and second question from Jay. If the best friends were on a heist, what roles in the typical heist crew would they have? Mm. I... These questions are so fun, and I always forget what the fuck the roles are in Ice Crew. <laughs> so I think that less would be the safe cracker. I think you need 100%. you need strength, but also a certain you know panache, and that's often the the most like mysterious I think role of somebody who you really want to get to know. And like I think that's really less. Mm. I also think, and I also want to say this is different than explosives expert, but the safe cracker also doubles as like the person who could do weird things with their body. Yes. Like sure. in Ocean's Eleven, it was the contortionist who got in the in the bell cart. Yeah, in the yeah. bell cart. So I think that like you know, if Les needed to, all right, there's a 15 foot moat, and someone needs to clear it, <laughs> and Les is like, I got it, <laughs> and then does that and starts working on the safe. Sure. I mean, Phoebe feels like a hacker to me. What do you think, Julia? I was going to say hacker or explosions expert. For I sure. think explosions was pre-computers, and hacker is post-computer explosive. Mm-hmm. Person. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. that makes sense. I think Carrie would think that she is the face, but they would just mostly find a way for her to like have as little impact as possible <laughs> and, and and as little um, to be as small of a liability as possible to, to the result. I think Carrie Ann is the face, but Carrie Ann is the face in the way that Carrie Ann could just bulldoze her way through situations rather than mm. schmooze her way through situations. Yeah. yeah. She thinks she's being really slick and they're like, you're not being slick, but it is working. Yeah. <laughs> Is Carrie Ann the Brad Pitt in the corner just eating chips? Is that what's happening? Yes, I was going to say Carrie Ann's either George Clooney, who organizes but doesn't really do that much, or Brad Pitt, who's more of a hindrance than anything, but he has to be, but he has to be involved. No, no, yeah. no. Carrie Ann is Matt Damon and has to, like, really fancies herself sophisticated, but has to kind of learn her lessons and then show up in a small way in the third movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Was Matt Damon the face in a movie with Brad Pitt and George Clooney? That was the joke, is he, he was, like, he very clearly uh, not up to snuff, but he really wanted to be. He was also an extremely, like, nerdy and eager student, so there's some parallels there. That's I was going to say, Carrie Ann is specifically Matt Damon, but in Ocean's 13 with the yeah, nose. Exactly, Julia. The exactly. nose plays, The nose plays. The nose plays. What can I tell you? All right. <laughs> Tattooed and Tall says, uh, Eric, are you able to actually physically feel all the people cursing your name when these episodes come? Yeah, keep doing it, man. <laughs> please. Please. I need it. Mm, mm. It's in this smoothie that's also going to get me slim for the summer. <laughs> it's mostly <laughs> no. just going to make you poop. I'm just going to poop out all my, all my water weight. Goddamn diet industry. Get out of here, diet industry. Okay, okay, see you later. Hey, uh, you can lose 10 pounds in two weeks. Shut no. up, get out. That's a really good voice for me to recast all those spam texts I get. Yes. I like that. Oh, hey, well, hey what's up? <laughs> Allie says, did you have separate recording sessions for these episodes, or did you just break it up for podcast purposes? Yes. We record all of the mysteries all the way through. That's how Monster of the Week works. It feels like you got to like solve the mystery and play it out. So we've been dividing these into separate episodes. It's been interesting. I mean, I do like recording games and playing games for like three hours at a time. So it's been fun. I'm not sure what we're going to do when we record campaign three, but like we could keep doing it. It's just something that I'm going to have to get keep in my head that like, you know, I, I treating it like it's one session 
or two separate sessions and making sure everything has highs and lows. Because, you know, for some of these episodes, I've, I've been worried that, like, episode one is the setup and episode two is the payoff. But that's kind of just how Monster of the Week games go. Mm-hmm. So I just want to make sure that I do it if we end up, like, recording uh, chunks at a time. I also haven't gotten as, like, exhausted as I thought I would on, like, a two or three hour session. Yeah, Which I true. normally do when playing, like, uh, yeah. regular old in-person D&D, you know? Mm. Definitely. I think there's fewer mechanics and a, a less kind of optimization that we have to do, but also just the the structure of the game really works. Like we are, we're not sort of having to like dip in and out of the story. And this is like episodes, you know, six and seven of like a 10 episode arc. I don't know. It just, it's felt really natural. And I have really enjoyed the cliffhanger moments that in some cases, Eric kind of identifies in the session. And in some cases, Brandon chooses in the edit. It's been really fun to see. And I don't know, it feels like people have things to talk about, even if we get more questions at the end of it mystery than we do midway through that's true mckay asks we've never had a romance between player characters before on join the party so how'd you guys talk about developing and playing the crush between phoebe and les i don't know we've never seen them kiss so i don't know yeah there's no romance what are you talking about there's still plausible deniability all right i'm gonna legit answer this question while everyone else (laughs) yes (laughs) so the i think the origins of this was when we announced the campaign during a live stream, I think, Brandon said something to the effect of, well, you know, Eric, if you're not going to allow <laughs> us to romance NPCs, we'll just have to romance ourselves. No, he <laughs> sa- I said, if you're not going to give me any romance, right. because he never has. Right. And then I did. And it's, uh, the entire camp think less is, less is hot. There you go. But. The the origin of that was because I was trying to flirt with Shadow Gal Wendy, Wendy. Yes. Yeah. in campaign you two. You rolled so badly, Milo. Yeah, exactly. You gave yourself disadvantage by being like, I'm double yes. fisting grasshoppers. Yes! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It might have been Cosmos, but whatever. No, grasshoppers is funny. And, and, then, and then Brandon's like, why would you do this to me? I'm like, you walked, to the mo- you walked up to the most anxious person in the room and you are three drinks in. I think Eric just doesn't want to flirt with me. So I was like, you know who flirts with me? Julia. <laughs> no, I'm and just I was like, I yeah, didn't, I, I didn't guess. do that. <laughs> That's true. I guess my characters have had irresistible NPCs in, in campaigns one and two. Mm-hmm. That's true. But- I gave you a deep friendship with Lucas. If you didn't want to kiss Lucas, I'm I don't just- know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm just using you. Actually, some of my favorite stuff in media is like deep platonic male friendships anyway. So Yeah. yeah. And in terms of like how we had the discussion, Brandon was very upfront, was like, I want to maybe progress the friendship and like the kind of weird tension between Phoebe and Les a bit more. Are you cool with that? I want to make sure, which is great communication at any table before you start doing stuff like that. So good job, Brandon. And also like a recommendation for people who might be doing player character romances Mm -hmm. at their own tables. I think we also... I forget, it might have been Amanda. It doesn't really matter who it was, but we decided as a group, like, we stopped the line at any sort of, like, actual kissing. Yeah. Um, so. Which I don't even remember if... I don't remember that conversation, but I also just thought it was very funny for us to be like, we're only going to hold hands. A hundred percent. It is funnier. But yeah. I, you want to make sure not just the two people are comfortable, but also, like, the right. whole group is comfortable. I remember that being part of our discussion, our sort of, like, pre-episode zero discussions about monster of the week of like what's the tone how do we depict it what level of like violence do we want to depict like we were thinking about you know achieving the right tone and one of the aspects we touched on is you know these are teenagers we didn't talk about how often we're going to discuss periods but like i'm glad that happened (laughs) but we did i I think that was when we said like yeah and like if if they flirt with each other you know we'll we'll kind of 
enact only up to a certain line. Right. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of discussions of kissing, Ryan Morrell says, are you sad the end is so near on the campaign? Would you ever consider doing the style again? I love the campaign. If we came back at some point, that'd be great. I feel like I personally have really smoked into the filter on this campaign. Like I have, um, I have like not been afraid to use my luck points. I have not been afraid to like, you know, make strong decisions to sort of like do it for the story, knowing that it was limited and like all the other campaigns are as well, but we didn't set out in advance in campaign two how many episodes it would be. For example, we had like a vague idea, but this, this has, I felt given me permission to like make strong character choices in a way that I'm really enjoying and I will definitely miss it. And I, I will, you know, remember Camp Die fondly and wear my hat and like have the sticker here on my laptop. But I, I'm excited for what's next. <laughs> Not oh, yeah. to tease y'all too much, but like I'm so fucking pumped for Campaign Three. So it's a bittersweet thing for me to say goodbye. But I am, you know, encouraged knowing how stoked I am to get into the next world. I think it's a major mark of the quality and the fun that we've had with season two and this one. Of like, at the end of both of them, we were like. Oh yeah, we we go back into this place, and whether or not that's true, you know, six weeks a year later, actually. But like, the desire to not want to leave the setting is like something that's pretty like unique and rare, I think, in D anD. d So it's it's very good. And I yeah, I would say I would go back to the camp, but you know, I think it might be one of those things like when you graduate eighth grade, and you're like, I don't want to leave this group of people, and then you get to college, and you're like. I would never go back to eighth grade. College is fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I like the places. It's a conversation, I think, about, like, how we would fit it in. You know, it's like, I don't want to do necessarily, like, a whole long thing in Lake Town City again. But we could, I mean, if we wanted to, if we ended up playing, like, maybe a short game of masks or something in set in Lake Town City. I feel like we'd have to do something else, you know? We'd have to be something, yeah. Like, we'd have to have a good reason and a good, like, hook to get back into it, you know? Sure. Yeah. I don't know if you three would be playing the same characters again, right. you know, especially because Amanda's character no longer exists in Lake Town City. <sighs> <laughs> it was ambiguous, Eric. People can choose their ending. That's my headcanon. It's my headcanon. Why don't you tell us what's coming up? Right. So remember, we only have three more episodes left of Monster of the Week. We have the finale one, the finale two, and the finale three happening on November 29th, December 6th. And December 13th. And then we have our final after party coming out on December 20th. Make sure to get all of your questions in on like December 13th, 14th, and 15th uh, because we're going to be recording it then. It's a holiday gift to us. Give us those questions. It's good questions because we're going to be done and we can finally answer all of like the overarching uh, campaign questions. And then we're going to talk about what we're going to do afterwards during that episode as well. We're going to take off the last Tuesday and put something in there. And then we're going to come back horde in 2023. There'll be something still in your feed, right? Yes. We'll do a uh, a bonus drop of a very tasty party planning episode here in the in the feed for you the last Tuesday of the year, and then uh, we're getting right into more and more in January. There's no bad Tuesdays, guys. Not one ever. Never. Yeah. Well, there might be bad Tuesdays, but not when you're considering uh, this this media franchise. Mm. There's none of yeah. us. <laughs> we won't be providing the bad Tuesday for <laughs> yeah. you. If what makes a Tuesday bad is no join the party, there will never be a bad Tuesday. <laughs> True. It might not be your day, your week, your month, or even your year, but, <laughs> but we'll be there for you on Tuesday. Empty RSS feeds on empty iPhones. Oh, my God. No, I made a, that, Brandon, good reference. I was making a Friends reference, but I'm I with know. you. It's good. It's called a callback, Eric. Oh, there it is.
That's what it is. I I used all of my all of my stuff. But to tie I you- dreamed a dream of pods <laughs> gone by. You there it is. Say I used all my stuff and then launch into I'm another amazed. one. I thought of a new one. Julia. Where did you even <laughs> see Lamez? I've seen Lamez a bunch of times. Oh wow! In the movie, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. Man. All right, well, to tide us all over, I know Eric has been sustained with his what the fucks, but we we need a little bit of who can say to get us through the next few days. So mm-hmm. uh, here we go to close out in spoily corner from Morgan. Oh, wait, we didn't touch on this. Julia, how betrayed were you by me? Fucking terrible. <laughs> oh, my God, that's right. I never we'll talked about, about it in sorry. the next episode a little more, okay. but bad. <laughs> yeah. Is Phoebe okay? Did you really not know? Did you not have a hint? Of no. What the... Oh, I thought you sort of had figured it out. No. Oh. Not it was only in listening back, hearing that Charles was not present for Phoebe to like perceive that I was thinking, oh shit, that's so sinister. But I had no idea. I was shocked. Yeah. Again, I thought that Charles might have been related to Stephen in some way. So I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Phoebe, colon, concerned. Yeah. yeah. And extremely angry. That one part when you were asking me where the staff lounge was and the director was like, I'm not going to tell you, was me like, oh, she's going to find out. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> so I like, that was a really important for me that like you had to just figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into our spoily corners. So Ricky says, are Les and Phoebe going to kiss? Who can, Who can say? say? <laughs> it is so much more funny. It's so much funnier to me talking about making out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> than, than saying your kissing is a power move. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's in the notebook, baby. It's in the notebook. Duran says, Will the puzzle clerk make a return? He was hilarious and the bouncy castle has been my favorite mystery. Who can say? Who can say? Who can say? He will make a uh, cameo for like 30 seconds in season three, though, in campaign three. Interesting. So Interesting. Watch out for that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's going to show up in the um, in a mid credit scene. Mm. Good. <laughs> The puzzle cleric will return. (laughs) (laughs) Morgan says, is ADZ and his magic item buffet controlling any of the other NPCs we've seen? Is he Mavis Beacon? Who? Who can say? Who can say? I can't say. I will say Mavis Beacon was glamored by the fairies. So Mavis Beacon was a real person whose mind was wiped by Greenbrook, unfortunately. But I I can't say about anybody else. When her mind was wiped. Did she forget how to teach typing, or was that something that she learned? After Muscle the memory. No, That's the it's, whole thing. it's a core. It's like when you have amnesia, when a character has amnesia, but it's like I'm so good at this one thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's teaching typing. Yeah, I don't know my name, but I can play the violin. <laughs> I put students' fingers on the home on the home bar. Yeah, my pinkies <laughs> are on the A and the L, and okay. <laughs> And finally, from Dominique, will Carrie Ann be blamed by the director for Boo's soul detaching from his body? Who can say? Oh, guys. Nothing's funnier to me than Phoebe doing it and then Carrie Ann getting blamed. (laughs) Now, here's my question. As a parent, if you got your kid replaced with a watermelon of your kid, you don't have to feed them anymore. (laughs) They don't need exercise. They don't have to go to the doctor. Pretty sweet deal. That feels like Les is saying that to the director. <laughs> <laughs> Would Boo's biological father, the puzzle clerk, have something to say about that? Maybe. Who, who can, can say? say? He's an absent father, so who can say? <laughs> That's true. He's traveling the world getting artifacts. Being a colonizer. <laughs> Being a colonizer. Hey, just like Indiana Jones, Julia. Yeah. Chew on that. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I understand the problems with the Indiana Jones. <laughs> 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 just chew on it. 
I just think Harrison Ford's hot. What do you want from me? <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. All right, folks. We will see you next week with the first of our three-part finale. And until then. Bye, guys. Later. I forget what I say. You I, say goodbye, Eric. I've, All you say every time I've is goodbye. I've been thinking about Les Mis too much, and I'm stuck <laughs> on that. You can say au revoir. Oh, okay. Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs> May your rolls turn ever upward. Wait, more. can I say, can I, I said slurped again. Can I say something again? No, no. you have to no. keep slurped in. Oh, no. no. I'm, I'll I just have... edit it so you say slurped every time. <laughs> That's fine. There'll be a slurped cut. No, no, the slurped oh, cut. Oh, not the no. slurped cut.